Welcome to Waypoint. My name is Blair. I'm one of the pastors here. And last uh, week, we kicked off our summer programming. What that means for us is that we're going to do a bunch of two-week series. Um, Many times, they're just going to be connected by topic, maybe a section of scripture, that sort of thing. Uh, You won't have to be here for both. It'll be helpful if you are. And we know people are in and out. And so we're thinking if we can pack a couple weeks where you're here in a row into something that could be helpful, we'll do that. And so... uh, Last week we started with something. I'm going to just bring you quickly up to speed so you know where we were at, and then we'll continue along. This whole year, uh, we've been talking about different ways uh, to make sure that our lives show that we're followers of Jesus. It's not enough to believe a certain set of things. God wants us to actually show up and live it in a different way. He wants to see it in our lives, come out of our lives. And so in some examples of that, we've talked about it looking like salt and light. Salt, you have meaning, you have purpose, you add flavor to the world. Light, you show up as a light in dark places, and you're, you're just different because of that. And so uh, last week, we stepped into Ephesians chapter um, 6. We, we looked at the whole chapter just as an overview and realized the book um, that Paul five different times told this little group of Romans to walk a certain way. He said, I want you to aim your feet towards Christ, and I want you to start walking in a way that honors me. I want your life to have these things coming out of it. It's not just beliefs. I want you to live a certain way. And so he said, I want you to walk this way. But in chapter 6, he changes the tone a little bit. And he says, listen, I know you're fired up to do this. I'm I'm giving you these ideas that you can honor God this way, but I want you to know it's not going to be easy. And one of the things he says could happen to you, could happen to me, is that you'll face a scheme. It's 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 subtle. It's small. It's It's a little lie that you take. It's a little compromise to your integrity. It's a little doubt that you accept about um, maybe God or about you even. And you take that in, and that's all God's enemy needs. He just needs you to be off track a little bit. You start here, you accept some scheme, and then you're off target. And it's going to take a little while, but you'll end up back in the same place that you were. You're like, man, I really wanted to make a difference with this attitude. Why do I still have it? You might have fallen for a scheme. I wanted to do something different that honored God in this way with my habit. And I have this habit still. You you fell for a scheme. And so Paul said, listen, because schemes are coming, I want you to put on some armor. And he starts using Roman armor as an illustration for the kind of protection that we need against schemes. And and we're going to talk more about putting on armor today. But but before we get to that, I just want to say this. There's a lot of pieces of armor, and, um, and putting them on is just as much of a process as anything else in life. If you were to look at a little baby right now, and you would look at that baby and say, dress yourself, that baby would look at you and say, change my diaper, dummy, right? And you would do it, because they don't, they don't know how to do any of that. They have, they have three looks, right? Feed me change my pants, and squirrel. Like, am I talking to you right now, or what just happened here? But, but as they get older, 
Then they start to mature. They figure out how to start putting clothes on. And when they're younger, sometimes they don't match. And it's weird, right? You're like, you have to go change that right now. And, and then as you get older, you start putting on the stuff that's right. And that's exactly how it is. When you're a young follower of Jesus, it takes a while for you to develop these skills. But as you mature, as you get older, then, then these things that we're talking about, they should be the things that you put on as you wake up each day. They become habits of practice in your life that end up protecting you. And so um, Paul is talking about this protection that you would put on that would help you. And in verse 16, he, he changes course because the first three pieces of armor, the first three pieces are for every soldier it's kind of like a uniform. They would have all worn them. Everybody would have um, seen soldiers in this kind of gear walking around a Roman city. It would have been normal. But the next three pieces start this way. He says, in addition to this. And as soon as he names the next three pieces, you recognize that those three pieces were only given out during times of war. If you were going to face a battle... You had to have that kind of armor on. It's, it's, kind of what's, it's kind of like sobering because Paul's suggesting that you're going to need battle armor. See, sometimes in life it gets bumpy. It gets bumpy in our lives because we make bad choices. But sometimes it gets bumpy in our lives because we're being attacked like somebody wants to do us harm. And, and you might step back and go, little old me? I mean, who, who could possibly want to do that? Well, uh, Paul actually helps us with that. Because earlier, before he ever gets to the armor, he gives us some indication about who God's enemies are. And he says this in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Saying, listen, you want to know what you're up against? I, I, I gave over the domain of earth to Satan, and he's developed systems. There are things that are part of this world that are against everything that God believes in. And you're going to have to face that. And those are the kind of things that you're going to run into. He said there's also spiritual forces at play. This is really important to understand. Because what can happen to us is when a battle starts, we get focused on that person right in front of us. Right? We think the conflict is about what they're doing, what they said, how they said it, how disrespectful they are, or the situation that we're in. It's so difficult, so hard, it consumes our time and energy, our worry, that that's what the thing is about. And so we focus on that. And we kind of cooperate with the, with the forces that are at play and we get angry at that person. We get angry at the situation. We become bitter. And we become drilled in on that situation or person. And God would have you understand and know there are bigger things at play. There are bigger forces at play. And if you have blinders on, 
to what you might be facing, you're fighting it out with a person, maybe a friend, maybe a family member, maybe a situation at work, and, and you're wrestling with that, and you think that's the issue, and what you've missed is that in the background of all of that playing out, there's an enemy that wants to see you wounded, that wants to see you destroyed and wrecked. And if they can do it, they'll use any means necessary because all is fair in love and war. And if that has to use your family, they'll do that. So how do you know? How do you know if you're in a battle or not? I, I, th- I think if you use three measurements, you'll probably get it right most of the time. You look for these three things. The stakes are high. Like if you, if you get this wrong, it's, it's not going to be good. It's emotionally exhausting. Like it's, it, you feel spent being involved with this. And you never feel like you get a break. That's, it's kind of like a battlefield. If you've never watched a battle, a, a movie where somebody goes, time out, time out, I'm really tired. Can you guys just back off for a little bit while I catch my breath? Never happens, Right? You don't get a break. It, it might feel like um, a temptation that you're facing, that you just, you say no to, you say no to, you say no to, and it keeps knocking on your door. It keeps asking for more. It could be a situation that you have a lot of fear over, and you've tried to put it to rest, and it keeps coming back, and everything that you would have to be afraid of or worry about still stays in your face all the time, and you could be in a battle. Your heart could ache. If your heart's aching over this thing, you're probably in a battle, or if you've been at it for so long that you just feel like you're numb, like, I, I've, I've given this so much energy, so much effort, and now I'm not sure I feel anything. You're, you're probably in a battle situation. And, and Paul's about to say, listen, if you're in a battle, you need some different armor. You need to armor up. You need to put on some armor. But here's what I want you to do. So in verse 16, he says, addition to this, and then he starts naming different armor that you would need. And I love how he frames it. He actually sets the setting for us so we know exactly what's going on. In verse 16, he says this, take up the shield of faith which can, um, you can, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, uh, the setting of this makes it really clear. You're on a battlefront. There are waves of arrows coming in. And your doom and destruction is really at play here. So uh, it's going to be important because we're going to start to understand these other pieces in the setting that Paul's talking about. And the setting is, this is an all-out war. And he says the first piece that you should have is the shield of faith. Well, that's good news. The, the Romans actually used these shields to defend against incoming arrows in a, in a battlefront. And uh, maybe the best way for you to understand that might be this little video that can help you. Paul said you need a shield. Why would you need a shield? Well, because this isn't a sneak attack. 
This is full-out warfare where their line is going to try to overrun your line and you're going to try to push them back. But this is all in your face. And so they had perfected the use of shields. And one of the primary ways they defended themselves by a team was through the use of shields. Let me try to illustrate this. Here come the barbarians! Yeah, this looks bad. Here come the barbarians. I, I don't know. This was no sneak attack. They were coming right for you, and so the Romans had perfected the use of the shield. The shields, actually, some of them had hooks on the inside so that you could link them together and form a wall. It would look something like this. From behind this wall that the Romans had built, a second tier of people would either shoot arrows or throw spears, or they would let people get close enough and they stab their spears through this. You can see how the intensity of this would cause you to focus on what's right in front of you and the guys left and right of you. Um, because this was about fiery arrows coming in, the Romans also had perfected another formation for their shields. Let's go ahead and show them that. Now, the team would be protected underneath the shield. So there'd be a, a barrier in front, a barrier overhead, and this third group of people would now be the ones who would be attacking. When we see the word shield in the scriptures, we think personal protections, but the Romans would have thought this was a team sport. It mattered who I was shoulder to shoulder with getting protection from, and I was supplying that for somebody else. And so the question is, when you think of a shield, who's on your team? Who do you have next to you? Do you have somebody who's in the fight when the battle starts raging? Because this is the picture Paul had in mind. Let's head back in. Uh, two things. I, I did not ask Mike to take his shirt off. He really wanted to do that. I didn't stop it, but it was weird, right? I just said, yeah, go ahead, Mike. Take your shirt off. And the other thing that dawned on me later is one of those guys seemed to have a lot of extra energy. He got married on Friday, right? Yeah. I think that's what was going on. Little hyped up there, Mr. Chandler. Um, it said it's a shield of faith. Who are you putting faith in? What are you putting faith in? A lot of people would answer, hey, I think you're putting your faith in God, but it doesn't fit the picture that we're dealing with. Um, the faith that you're supposed to be putting something in is another gift that God gives you, and that's the team that you're with. God calls it a body. He calls it the church. But it's about the person who's standing to the right and who's standing to the left of you. And you together kind of did that battle. It, this is not about standing in the middle of a field with your own shield and deflecting everything that comes in. It's not happening. That's not what this picture is about. The problem for many of us is that we have become so busy with our lives that when the, when the battle shows up, we want the team to show up. But you have to have a team before you need a team. 
You, you have to go and develop a team before you get one to show up. And that, that takes time. That takes you showing up in relationship with people, figuring out, uh, am, can I trust them with this? What can I share? What can I share? It's about developing conversations that you build over time. And it's a process. It's a process that you have to go through so that when you're in the midst of a, of a battle, you know I've got these people who've got my back and I've got their backs too. You become the kind of person somebody would want to take into battle because they know you're trustworthy. They know you're not going to leave their side and leave them exposed. This is the picture that Paul has in mind. And he's saying, listen, you, you've got to have a team. And if, if you want to put faith in, in this structure that I've built, then you have to put some time with those people in order to have the team when you need the team. So that was the first one. He goes on in verse 17, and he adds another part of the uniform. He says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, I've heard uh, growing up this being one thing, and most of the commentators have written about it being one thing, but last month I was listening to somebody to describe Roman culture, and they talked about how the helmet was used during warfare. And I was like, that's this picture. This is in the war. This is, this is not um, just a helmet that you would have on. So let me show you uh, a picture of this helmet. Uh, most of the Roman helmets did not have that red plume. Only the leader's helmet had that red plume. The rest of them it would have just been a normal uh, cap sort of thing to cover them. And they were trying to solve a problem on the battlefield. They needed some form of communication because there were bigger objectives in play. You heard me say in that video that when you're behind your shield, you're focused on what's right in front of you. You're focused on the person to the right and to the left. And that's what you see. But we're part of a bigger movement. Like there's a bigger war going on. And in order to accomplish bigger objectives, you need communication. Well, how do you do that? Do you, do you pass a note down the shield? Here, we're going to move forward in five minutes. Pass it along. That's not going to happen. In the Civil War, they used buglers for that. Somebody would blow a bugle and you would know, oh, it's time to retreat. Or that means we should charge forward or we should guard this flank. There were signals that were heard over the crowd because you couldn't yell. Well, the Romans knew that they had a communication issue as well, and they solved it with this. Because that stood up in the air so far, what you would do is you would look around for that red plume. And if you, if you drew your eyes up and you noticed the red plume was 20 feet down the field, you knew you had to push forward hard if you were going to get to where you had to protect their flank. If you looked up and it was 20 feet behind you, you would protect your flank and you would wait for the line to catch up to you so that you could move forward as a group. If you saw that, that red thing go charging down the middle of the thing, you knew it was go time and you would follow. Now this is the helmet of salvation. When you decide to be a follower of Jesus, he becomes your commander in chief. And he would like to be able to issue you orders in the midst of your battles. I think sometimes when I've talked about this, this has um, been difficult for people to understand. 
I'm not talking about God um, giving you an audible voice that interrupts your day. And suddenly you go, oh, God obviously wants me to do this. This is one of those skills that you develop over time. How I started is I started listening to my conscience. My conscience would sometimes say, that's right, that's wrong, don't do it. And when I started listening to that, or go apologize, go say you're sorry for that. When I started listening to that, what I realized was that same voice would show up at other times in my life. And it wasn't about right or wrong. It was about, I want you to think about this in a different way. I want you to pray for this person right now. I want you to take this. And I started responding to that. And I realized that that was God's spirit attempting to find a way to connect with me on a regular basis. That's what God is looking for from you. You're in the midst of the battle, and it's easy to get focused on what's right there, what that situation, that person, that that conflict that you've got. And while you're doing that, you've missed the bigger objectives because God would come to you and interrupt your life and say, listen, I know, I know you're up against it right now, but I need this from you. I need, you to, I need you to guard this person's flank. I need you to come this way. There are bigger things going on than just the battle that's right in front of you. So you've got to follow me. And developing that skill, that habit, so that even when you're in the raging fight, you can still be led is part of what this looks like. So we have two pieces where you're being led, interrupted by God, and you know it, and you follow. And then there's the last one. It says, in the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And twice now, two different pieces of the armor are connected to the scriptures. One was the belt of truth. You need to know what's true in order to understand what's a lie so that you can um, propel or get rid of that scheme and just reject it. But this, um, this sword we think of, um, I don't know, I've seen a lot of movies and I've always, uh, it's been romantic a little bit. You know, the sword fighting scenes. Have you ever seen yourself in those? How many of you have ever thought, my name is Indigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare. And then you envision yourself doing all that. You're like, yeah, I could do that, right? And I, I've always thought sword fighting looked great. I was thinking about it this week, and I thought, it would be great unless somebody's trying to kill you. Then it seems less appealing, Right? That seems less fun. But this sword that we're talking about here is not the swords we're used to seeing in all the movies. You know, the big, long, broad hand swords where you're losing two hands to swing around. You're in close quarters. You're trying to protect your line. You're all hiding behind shields and you're moving forward to attack. And if you pull out your long sword when somebody breaks through your line and starts swinging away, you're going to have some friendly fire issues. You're going to hurt your own team. So the sword that they were talking about was actually the the small one that went on the belt. um, We have a picture that we used last week. We showed you that was the belt. And then you can see the sheath that that little sword would have been. It was just off to the side. It was meant to be handy. It was meant to be quick. You would reach down. You would pull that out. And it would be a tool that you could use really quickly in close quarters. It wouldn't hurt everybody else. And you could make a quick stab, um, stop the enemy, and close the line. It was offensive. 
It was an offensive tool. The, the belt was a defensive thing, but this was meant to be a, an offensive thing where you use the scriptures to fight back at whatever that attack was. So you hear God's enemy say to you, God doesn't love you. And you know, hey, no, he sent his son to die for me. I know John 3.16. And you recall that section of scripture that gives you confidence that God is who he says he is, that he loves you. And then these could be all kinds of things, but you put them to memory or you meditate on them. You know you're going to need that in the battle, and so you're thinking about that. You're processing that scripture. So when an attack comes, you put it down. You strike, and you knock it down. And it goes back in, and it's readily available for you. It's, it's just right there. And you put yourself in a place where this becomes a tool for your protection, not just your defense, but offense as well. Paul's just saying it straight up. You're going to face a battle. And some of you, you're at a real disadvantage. Uh, Because the truth is, you, you haven't started a relationship with God yet. And maybe you think, hey, if I'm not trying to live in a way that honors God, maybe the, maybe the enemy will just ignore me. And they might ignore you for a short time, but they might ignore you because you're going to be easy pickings. And they will come for you, and they will steal your joy, and they will make you feel unloved, and they will rob you of your hope, And if you look around our world right now, you can't tell me that that's not the state of a lot of people. And those are people who have not decided to follow after God and to take his tools that would protect their hearts and their lives. And if you haven't done that, you're wide open for attack. Easy pickings. I think some others of us, we decided to follow Jesus And we thought this would be easy. And we didn't understand that there were going to be schemes, that there were going to be battles, and we were going to be in the middle of them, and it was going to be hard. And in some of those cases, you walked onto a battlefield without the right armor. You didn't have the right gear in place. And because you weren't ready to listen for the leading of the Spirit, you felt alone out there. Because you hadn't built a team before you needed a team. You felt like you'd been stranded. And it was harder than it needed to be. And there's others of you. You're in the thick of it right now. You, you knew there could be a battle. It's, and it's just not fun. Like it's a struggle. Stakes are high. You're emotionally exhausted and you can't catch a break. And uh, what God's asking from you is for you to just be brave and to stick with it. To put on the armor that he supplied and to keep walking faithfully to honor him. To listen carefully for his direction because this is the life, this is the life that we're going to live. If we want to honor God, you can expect schemes and you can expect to be attacked. 
And the question is, will you be brave and armor up? Or will you shrink back, cooperate with God's enemies, pick the wrong fight with the wrong thing, leave your armor at home, and end up wounded? I hope you'll choose to be brave. As you think about that, I'd love for you to listen to this song.